0: Greetings, friends and fellow daemons. As many of you know, for the last couple of years, I've been working on a new book called *The Nebu Generator*, which is a black magical approach to economics and personal finance. You could almost call it a money magic book, but it's not quite that because. It is money magic, but not in the ordinary sense that that is usually thought of because it taps into a higher form of magic, uh, what we like to call greater black magic, magic of self-transformation. So it begins with changing the self and changing one's habits before anything else. In any case, this book is just about done and I'm looking at a release date of April 30th which I'm very excited to get to and get to the next stage in the development of all of this great stuff so I'm going to share a bit from it with you today in in lieu of this forthcoming release it's from chapter 1 Naboo The Gold Principle. I promise this is not your everyday book on money magic. In this book you will find no money spells. You will not be asked to call upon favors from such and such pagan god or so and so from the who's who of demons. Nor will I ask you to light candles in the dark and burn your last dollar bill in the flame. I will not send you to the local New Age store to spend your hard-earned cash on the latest crystals, oils, or incenses. I won't send you out chasing rainbows, and will very honestly advise you there is no pot of gold at the end of them anyway. I further promise that everything I talk about in this book is something that I have direct experience with. What I will do is show you that you don't need any of these superstitions because the real magic of true wealth generation is well within your reach with the tools immediately at your disposal, your own mind, will, and energy. Quite simply, we will take some basic principles of black magic and apply them to some basic principles of economics. You might consider this system Pharaonic black magic because it considers the individual to be sovereign, like a pharaoh, not only in a figurative sense but in a real and material sense, and that the creative magic which flows from the individual is the way to freedom for all as opposed to the way of obedience and subservience recommended by the various white magical communities. This book is not intended to answer all the questions about all the subjects it touches on. It is designed only to help those who need it get to the next level, where they can see the questions more clearly and find better resources for themselves. I will give some of my strategies here and there, but keep in mind, these are only what worked in my universe. If you really take the principles of the Naboo Generator to heart, you will quickly find much better strategies that make more sense in your corner of the universe. And finally, I know this book is not for everyone. This book is cast out with the intent of changing things in a real and substantial way for those who most need it. If you're in the right place at the right time, There can be an opening, and the universe can feed you some of that super substantial honey. If you are in the right place and right time to hear these words, you will know when you hear. If not, don't worry about it. Perhaps there will be another opportunity for you down the road. Now, imagine a shining city of gold on a hilltop. There is something deep and archetypal in this suggestion, and almost certainly some sort of impression will have arisen within you at this suggestion. The idea of a city of gold is a mythical image known since before biblical times. References to it are found within the lore of the Egyptians, Mesoamericans, and many other ancient civilizations going back even to the legends of Atlantis. Hold this deep archetypal image of a beautiful, glorious, final, triumphant, celebratory resting place in your mind as we examine a few basic historical facts. In the pre-dynastic era of ancient Egypt, archaeological evidence indicates a society that was sophisticated and efficient with little formal infrastructure and no universal system of kingship. They lived well, and most people got their own burial site. In these days, for the most part, you either worshiped Set or you worshiped Horus, and this, for the most part, was dependent on what area you lived in. Then, with the advent of dynastic Egypt, it is apparent a change has taken place, not just politically, but economically. There is now a single absolute authoritarian ruler in the pharaoh and a ruling class organized closely around him. By the time of the 18th dynasty, there is clear evidence of slavery, chattel, bonded, and debt slavery. Over this 3,000 plus year timeline, there is Evidence of financial stability as well as several periods of financial instability, times when the money failed. There is also archaeological evidence of efforts by the ruling class to manipulate the monetary system in order to finance personal projects or military campaigns. At times, we see a very small ruling class receiving exaggerated, elaborate, and expensive burials. Think of the great pyramids here, where thousands labor for decades to produce a burial site for one man's household, while the non-ruling classes are conspicuously absent from burial sites. Contrast this with the dynastic period, where even common people were buried along with elements of personal property. By the time Alexander the Great marches in his troops in 332 AD, it is a fragile Egypt. Having suffered dearly from years of financial and military interventions by the pharaonic class, an era was ending. The city of gold was over. Egyptologists generally identify three intermediate periods in the ancient Egyptian timeline. The first intermediate, 2181 to 2040 BCE, second intermediate, 1782 to 1570 BCE, and finally the third intermediate, 1070 to 525 BCE. Each intermediate period is marked by a breakdown of centralized government. The periods of centralization in between leave indications of wealth concentrated mainly in the few, the pharaonic and priestly classes. While in the periods of decentralization, we see wealth distributed outward, more generally amongst the citizenry. the pattern of an economy that ebbs and flows in response to centralization attempts will be a pattern we see repeated again and again throughout history right up to our modern era. This pattern might also be equated to the ancient Teutonic model of alternating ages of fire and ice. Now, if you've spent some time Studying the left-hand path, you will likely have encountered this model previously. The only new thing I am suggesting here is that we apply the principle to the realm of economics. In an age of ice, there is a heavy centralization of authority. Technological innovation slows down, and central authority increasingly directs all attention and effort towards preserving its own position. Scarcity and subsequently human suffering is directed outwardly like ripples in a pond and the overall standard of living goes down. Think of the serfdom of the Middle Ages here. Now in an age of fire, central authority breaks down and the exchanging of value extends to all components in a society like molecules being heated up in a bowl of soup. Technological innovation heats up. And in place of authority, opportunity flows back and forth. The overall standard of living increases. Think of the dynamic era of the Industrial Revolution here, which incidentally provided us great new thinkers like Aleister Crowley, Gurdjieff, Tesla, Lovecraft, and many, many others. Now, what if I told you that right now, We are standing at the cusp of a new era, an era that combines the wisdom of the ancients with the energy of the contemporary in order to produce a new world of possibility where everyone who aspires can become like unto Pharaoh. That's right, there can be any number of Pharaohs, just as there can be any number of sovereign sentient beings. And then what if I told you that the key to unlocking this is in a commodity, a natural resource that has been around since the beginning and is still available to you today, a super-substantial store of value that is as ancient as the land before the pharaohs. While some academics have asserted that the Egyptians didn't use money, the fact is, throughout the pre-dynastic period and on to the tumultuous dynasties and beyond, Gold was always there, and often used as a form of money. The ancients learned that when currency was debased, typically mixing gold with another substance like silver in order to stretch out the gold and make more coins, economies would react negatively. We can learn from their experience today, for the usage of money in order to bring stability, accomplish goals, and open up opportunities is one of the strongest connections we have with our forerunners. In fact, since gold is never destroyed, but is occasionally melted down and reformed, it is entirely possible that any gold you might be holding right now might actually have some ancient pharaonic gold in it. No other substance so available in the world today can directly connect you with the vibrations of the ancient world. The evidence is indisputable that Egyptians connected gold with material and spiritual wealth. Egyptians considered gold to be valuable and to contain many significantly magical properties. If you doubt it, go look up the treasure of King Tut's tomb. There is no doubt that they appreciated the beauty of gold, understood its intrinsic value, and further associated various esoteric qualities to it including power, nobility, and immortality. According to legends, gold was an indestructible substance of divine origin and associated with the brilliance of the sun. Applied to the inner world, it represents that part of the self that cannot die, that will never lose its value or potency. It was also considered to be the same substance as the flesh of the gods. The Egyptians had a strong sense of morality to which they referred with the term Mayat. From such funerary sources as the 42 Negative Confessions of Mayat, it may be surmised that the Egyptians believed in and adhered to a version of the non-aggression principle. The non-aggression principle, also known as the non-aggression axiom, is an ethical stance asserting that aggression is inherently wrong. And that one of the fundamental natural rights of a human being is the right to not be aggressed against. Consider these excerpts from the Papyrus of Ani, which the deceased was expected to be able to earnestly claim before the scales of Mayat in order to be allowed into heaven. I have not committed robbery with violence. I have not stolen. I have not slain men and women. I have not stolen grain. I have not purloined offerings. I have not stolen the property of the gods. I have not uttered lies. I have not carried away food. This is just a small sampling, but in each line is a clear moral acknowledgement of individual rights to life, liberty, and property. Some 3,000 years later, the Englishman John Locke would claim property rights, along with right to life and liberty, to be the foundations of a free and prosperous society. Not much later, Thomas Jefferson and his colleagues would codify the same ideas into the first written state constitution in all of human history, the radical experiment called the United States of America. Both the ancient and the modern articulations would clarify that the way forward for actualizing such a vision is not through coercion and force, but in the integrity, success, and evolving of the responsible individual. For the ancient Egyptian, in the end, each must have his own heart weighed upon the scales of Maat in order to prove that he has remained true. To the non aggression principle and aspired toward the highest in life. The Nebu generator is a pathway to success and wealth that does not require you to engage in any sort of aggression against any other human being whatsoever. You don't have to bully, exploit, or deceive anyone to start generating wealth internally and externally using your own mind, will, and work. This is in stark contrast to vampirically based magical systems which encourage taking life, liberty, or even property from others against their will or without their knowledge. Nebu is the Egyptian hieroglyph representing gold, having the phonetic value of nb. The hieroglyph depicts a large golden collar or necklace usually with seven spines dangling from the middle and two larger, encompassing spines on either end. When the image is incorporated into hieroglyphic art or stamped on coins, sometimes it is not seven spines, but sometimes twelve, six, or other numbers, which may signify something to do with the value being represented. Sometimes on the tip of each spine appears a bead or perhaps a pearl, the usage of the number seven in the proper writing hieroglyph seems significant, corresponding with the mythological law of seven, or the divine octave of creation. The two encompassing spines make the total number nine, and possibly connect with the two shocks needed to complete an octave of the law of seven. The Nebu hieroglyph was also used in the Horus of Gold name, Heru Nub one of the 5 titular names of the Egyptian pharaoh, also worshipped at Anteopolis in the form of a hawk standing on a bull. There may be more to the connection between Horus of Gold and the bull. The ancient Egyptian city of Nebet, associated with gold, would later experience its name being changed to Ambos, the bull. That is to say, the golden city at some point became the city of the sacred bull, the bull of Ambos. More research is needed in this area to understand the possibility of an esoteric connection between gold and the bull. When paired with the set-headed Cham scepter, Nebu becomes the hieroglyph for Electrum, a naturally occurring alloy of gold and silver, also referred to as white gold by the Greeks. Various iterations of the Nabu glyph also appear on the famous Rosetta Stone, indicating that the ancient Egyptians recognized gold and similar or derivative precious metals as a form of value exchange. In the 30th dynasty, the necklace hieroglyph appeared on one of the coins minted in ancient Egypt, the gold stater. Originally, the stater was introduced by Teos to pay the salaries of Greek mercenaries with an owl on the left, an Athenian nod to the Greeks, no doubt, and a papyrus on the right. Teos' successor, Nectanebo II, retained the practice by coining his personal gold staters. With the pharaoh's hieroglyph on one side and the Nebu glyph on the other, this is probably the first wholly Egyptian coin. This usage of the coinage as a reserve of value is one of the strongest direct commonalities we may have with this ancient civilization, and until very recently, FDR's Gold Reserve Act of 1929, America had a gold-based monetary system as well. The Egyptians strongly associated gold with the Netjeru Ra and Horus. In the Horus of Gold name, we often see the Falcon of Horus depicted perched above or beside the hieroglyph of gold. The association of gold with royalty and sovereignty has continued to reverberate throughout Western and Eastern civilization. This may also relate to the idea of the Pharaoh's Horus name being the incarnation of the Pharaoh that is eternal, as gold was also associated with eternity. This association with gold is actually something universal, which we find across many cultures. This is probably due to gold being a constant and consistent mode of value and exchange, retaining a consistent value across millennia, in other words, eternity. Gold is also intimately connected with, if not inseparable from, the very concept of value Not just obtaining and creating value, but also in your ability to perceive value and make decisions about value. The ability to evaluate and discern is critical to success in all things. In initiation, you must make value judgments about what sort of impressions and ideas you're going to work with, what influences you're going to allow into your house, and consume into your initiatory being. Likewise, in the world of personal finance, you have to make decisions about how you are going to earn money, how you are going to spend it, how you are going to save it, and what you might invest it in. Good decisions can lead you on the path of personal success and sovereignty, the path of Pharaoh and the realm of the gods. Bad decisions can lead you to indebtedness, inertia, Self-annihilation, slavery, the duet on earth. Nebu thus emerges as a symbol for unlocking the power of making choices that create value and wealth for the whole of your being. In this sense, it is a holistic system. The way to poverty, including poverty of the soul, lies in not unlocking the power of making conscientious decisions about value and allowing the mind and body to be pulled along by the currents of cosmic inertia and mechanicalism. Nebu is the whole of the system as well as the focus in both a practical outer world sense and an inner world sense. Both worlds must develop in the same direction with the same aim and in harmony. When a person's outer world is consistent with their inner world, When their actions reflect their words, we say that they have integrity. And in a greater sense, this whole system is simply about developing integrity. Many other systems will say that you can just focus on the inner world, not worry about the outer world. Even more will say, focus only on the outer world and forget about the inner. In this system, both develop in harmony. You cannot grow truly wealthy in your pocketbook without also growing truly wealthy in spirit. In this system, both worlds feed each other. In all of this, a new quality of attention will emerge. A certain kind of divided attention in which you are paying attention to your inner world and outer world at the same time, and applying to each the same principles of value creation and wealth generation. Nebu is a wealth generator, a personal finance strategy based on three simple actions. One, create an emergency fund. Two, eliminate debt. And three, invest. Yet each is more than a simple act, for if done properly, each will function like an independent engine, each engine producing an energy stream which lends momentum to the entirety of your being and your path through life and the cosmos. As you will see, gold is a significant component of one of these engines, the third, called pay-yourself, which we will explore in due time, Nebu, gold. Represents the end game, not only for the bank balance sheet, but for the balance sheet of your soul.